Hey everybody, this is Carlos. Thanks for joining us. On today's show, we're going to be speaking with one of the best bow breeders out there, Tyler Johnson of Chroma Constrictors. We're going to talk about how he got involved in the boa game and his plans for the upcoming season. We're also going to talk about the sharp purple gene and the birth of the nebula boa. Finally, we're going to talk about tips on how to deal with difficult customers. Boa Rack Radio is on the air now. Welcome everybody to Boa Rack Radio. I'm your host, Carlos Rojas of Morph Sun Limited. And our guest co-host today is my friend Tyler Johnson of Chroma Constrictor. Uh, Tyler is one of the premier breeders on the East Coast, and he's known for producing top quality boas in the Sharp MVPI gene, and specifically his integration of the European Purple Line. Uh, Tyler, welcome to the show, brother. Hey, man. How's everything going? Good, dude. How's life treating you over there? Well, it's pretty crazy in these trying times, but uh, we're surviving, getting yeah, through, man. and staying positive. Yeah, no, I feel you, man, with everybody... Uh, you know, kind of hanging out at home, all the, everybody working remote, nobody really going out and conducting business as much as they should all over the place, right? Um, yeah, it's kind of nice, kind of nice getting a break from everything, but uh, I've been doing a lot of, uh, spending a lot of time with the animals, um, so that's kind of been nice. Yeah, man, I, I've been doing the same thing too, and I'm, you know, just enjoying everything. Right now I'm podcasting directly for my boa room right now kind of surrounded by all these boa cages and stuff like that and getting struck at by some of the hungry females as i'm walking by <laughs> you know uh but dude uh for those who haven't had the chance to do business with you or know you um give them a little bit about your background what got you interested in reptiles and and then also what kind of led you down the path of boas well um i probably start started with geckos actually when I was a little kid. Oh, really? I, um, yeah, I had a, a pretty big interest in, um, you know, the different species of geckos like gargoyles. And um, I had this one uh, crocodile gecko that was really cool and um, started once I got my first boa, I really started migrating more towards um, boa constrictors. Um, mainly red tails and you know the different morphs i had this really awesome reverse stripe when i was like 17 18 years old and um man just a gorgeous gorgeous animal i wish i still had her honestly but um i moved across the country to colorado um and kind of started fresh there and um actually worked for scales and tails uh when I was about 20 and, um, yeah, I was a a retail shop employee and, uh, worked, got up to manager status. And then, uh, that was when I got, um, I I got offered an apprenticeship back home for a tattoo apprenticeship and, uh, you know, started getting my interest into doing that art, doing artwork full time and, um, kind of, kind of put the reptiles on the back burner for a little while. I, I, I actually had a lot of, a lot of animals at that time. Um, I had a, a wild four foot Savannah monitor that was just so friendly. It was like a puppy dog. Um, just lots and lots of cool, uh, hobby kind of pets more right, than, right. um, so I had got, I got, got pretty serious and I ended up moving back to the East coast and, um, to do the tattoo apprenticeship. And, and where um, are you? You're based out of uh, Pennsylvania, right? Yeah. I grew up in, uh, in Northern Maryland, uh, near the PA line. And, um, uh, 
eventually my wife went when I bumped into my wife and we got together, we moved across to the Southern PA right, right outside of Gettysburg. Okay. Um, and it's nice. It's, it's, um, very farm country, you know, it's the countryside. There's a lot of, a lot of farm fields and, uh, rolling hills and stuff like that. It's real nice. No, that's cool, man. So you mentioned, uh, that you do your apprenticeship in, in kind of tattoos. How did that kind of all go underway? Like what got you interested in tattoos? Uh, what eventually led you to your apprenticeship? Who'd you apprentice under? Yeah. So I, uh, when I moved to Colorado, um, I moved in with a buddy of mine and he was a part of a, uh, like a kind of a, a group of guys, um, that were all tattoo enthusiasts and, and tattooers and, uh, like a lot of them called themselves rod chuckers. They were into uh, fixing cars and bikes and stuff like that. And um, they, uh, the one dude that I ended up rooming with was an apprentice at a shop in, in Golden, Colorado. And that, that's where I was living. And so I was like, man, if he could do this, I, I know I can draw pretty damn good. And um, I, I figured I could do it. So I actually started looking for an apprenticeship when uh, I was out there. Um, and I did find one, but the guy was pretty sketchy. And my, I, I came home for the holidays, and my a buddy of mine that I had been getting tattooed by, and some some friends that were in a band back here, they were getting tattooed by him, and he was a real good artist. He he, I actually came home to visit over the holidays, and and um, I was in and under the needle getting tattooed myself, and he and told him about you know my my aspirations and what want to go to. Um, possibly do an apprenticeship and um he told me to show him some of my drawings and and uh prove that i could that i had you know the skills that i had right. said that i had and um so he offered me the, the apprenticeship on the spot he's like you know it, he normally charged four or five grand for a spot and um he'd do half price for me since we had been buddies and i've been getting tattooed for a while and um so i moved ended up and I made, it was a real tough decision because I dropped everything I had going out there. I was snowboarding every day and uh, working for a park and, and grooming jumps and just having a blast and, and kind of doing reptiles part-time. And, and I had to drop all that and I sold my crotch rocket and sold my Jeep and, you know, I had a lot of, a lot of things I had to get rid of. to you started move. ditching that West Coast living, man. Yeah, I did. Yeah. yeah. So I moved back and uh, started, did my apprenticeship and. Uh, met my wife during that, uh, which actually we went to high school together, so it's pretty cool that we bumped wow. back into each Did other. Did you guys and... actually know each other in high school, or? Yeah. Oh, yeah. We 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 actually uh, were kind of fond of each other, and uh, <laughs> awesome. we had we had other other significant others, you know, in during school, and never had the chance to like do anything. But like our senior year, we were both dating other people, and we we had this dance down in Baltimore. And man, her and I hung out all night and just danced. I had a great time, and um, so it's wild that that I I was able to link back up with her, you know, after moving across country and back. And um, so then, um, yeah, I finished my apprenticeship. I tattooed for I tattooed at that shop. That was it. And uh, Glen Burnie, Maryland, um, under Norm Wright, and he's he's still a killer tattoo artist to this day. Um, and we're we're lifelong friends. I'm I'm. Uh, I see him a good bit, and um, he's definitely still uh, good. I think we, we influence each other now nowadays, uh, which is pretty cool. Um, so I, uh, I I left there, and um, 
Actually, I got to backtrack a little bit here because I'm missing a huge part of yeah, yeah. this story, and that's that um, during my apprenticeship, I, I was only he, I was only making my tips, uh, like what I, whatever I would make for helping people out, scrubbing their tubes, scrubbing the floors, scrubbing the toilet, doing all the stuff an apprentice should do. Um, I would I would make some tips, but it was never more than like a hundred bucks a week. So um, I I ended up sending Peter Call an email. Oh, and okay. and said, you know, hey man, he only lived forty five minutes from me, and I I'd never been to his house, but I I met him at a show. I met him at the Habit of Grace show um, years ago when I was, geez, probably seven, sixteen, seventeen, and um, and I and he was awesome, dude. He's a lot like me. We we him and I are, are really good friends, and uh, you know, we're into dirt bikes and living fast and having a good time, and um, so we. I sent him an email and I said, Hey, are you looking for any work? And he, he called me that night at like 1130 at night. And I'm downstairs at my girlfriend's parents' house and talking to Pete call. And he had us over for dinner the next day. And, uh, and I, you know, that was it, man. I started, uh, busting out. I worked for him three, three, four days a week. And, you know, he kind of, so in a sense you were like running dual apprenticeships, right? I was, yeah. At the same time, I was. I did. I did that for over a year straight, um, and then I would work for Pete, kind of on and off. Um, once I once I was actually tattooing full time, I, I I couldn't, you know, keep working for him full time, and he had a lot of different things going on too at that time. Um, with kids, he had two kids. He has two kids, and and then, um, you know. Uh, a lot of other things came about later with his wife and stuff like that. But, um, but yeah, so I would go over and help him out and, and do like a weekend bender with him and, and knock out as much feeding and, right. and breeding as possible. And, um, no, it was great. It was great. I, I'm, I met a lot of people through him, you know, Jeremy Stone and I became, uh, buddies, uh, from hanging out over at Pete's and, and so him, him and I still communicate and, and, uh, and talk boas and have a good time. I actually did a painting for Jeremy's son, Jackson, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. for, uh, his prosthetic legs so that he can turn them into tattoos, have like tattoo sleeves. So, oh, that's pretty um, cool. yeah, it's, it's cool meeting other people, other cool people in this industry. And, and, and I think Jackson goes to University of Arizona now, right? Yep. Like he's, yep. A, he's big now, dude, right? Yeah. He's, hey, trip, he's an awesome, awesome basketball player too, man. It's great watching yeah. him. It is. They came out here. Jeremy and uh, Jackson came out and spent the day with me up here in Gettysburg, and I took them to the, uh, to the different uh, monuments and yeah. um, – showed them all around the, the battlefields and things like that. It was, it was a really great time. I, I'm hoping that once Jackson gets out of school, he can come back out again. It'd be cool to see him oh, all cool. grown up. Yeah. Yeah, man. So let me ask you, dude. Um, so what eventually led you kind of the, to kind of, uh, start forming, uh, chroma constrictors and kind of give us the, the background, the history of, and uh, an overview of, uh, chroma constrictors. Yeah. So I, at the time when I was working for Pete, I didn't actually own a ton of boas. Um, I maybe had probably about two dozen at that time. Um, I had a uh, couple calls and a couple sunsets. I was big into sunsets for a while and er- early on and um, kind of got out of them on, on, 
until now I have I actually have a couple more that I'm really excited about. But um, the the when I was at Pete's, you know, I was watching what all his his huge collection of of boas, um, and he didn't have any sharps, which was really crazy. <laughs> so he had sharp, he had uh, calls and uh, a lot of calls, a lot of head calls, and um, you know, square tails and. He's big into square tails, had a lot of beautiful, beautiful square tails, which we don't see hardly anything of out there in the market right now, but I'm trying to revive that. Um, but he didn't have any sharps, you know, and I was like, man, this is just so crazy. Like, I, I really want to see these sharps, you know, and um, I I ended up getting a, a high contrast um, albino sharp in 2000. 12 maybe 2013 2013 and that was like what kind of did it for me having this this boa that's just really really uh solid red tail was just like wow like because in the call strain you just don't see that there's some select lipsticks and you know you can really line breed and get that but um but but you don't you don't get that really ridiculous red tail that stays with the the, the snake through its life. So um, I kind of just thought, well, man, you know, if these guys can do this, I know how to do this. I've, I've been doing it for years. I've been you know taking care of boas for years, and I was like, I, I really want to kind of have my own thing. And um, at the time in 2013, I was working for Harley Davidson. I kind of put. I got married earlier than that in 2011 and, um, you know, kind of had to put tattooing on hold for a little bit, um, because it wasn't a super serious income. I mean, I made okay money, but it was not on the books and, you know, you can't buy a house without, without that, or you can't start businesses without having money on the books that the bank can see. And, um, so I had to get kind of a real job and I was selling Harleys for a few couple years and, um, I bought the 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 house that I have my studio in. It's uh, in it's in the town of Littlestown, uh, Pennsylvania, which is about 15 minutes outside of Gettysburg, and it's only about five minutes from my house, which is really cool. Oh, that's um, convenient. Yeah, my wife and I have a farm up the road, and um, my wife bought that or, or right before we got married. And I always used to get on her and say, you know, this is your crappy farm that you had to have and this kind of thing. But now we're you know, that we have kids and, um, you know, we really take advantage of it, of the farm and we have horses too. And, um, I hunt now, which is huge. I, I absolutely love bow hunting more than most things. And I have my, my own property and my neighbor's property. So like we really take uh, a lot of advantage of, of what we have now. And I'm, I'm really kind of, I feel more blessed that, that we have a, a 12 acre farm, you know, than, than maybe whatever I would have, tried to get her to buy back when we were 21 you know what i mean right no I, I mean it's one of those things like especially when we're young we don't necessarily know what's best but it's nice when stuff like that ends up working out you know yeah and that's cool so so you so are you sharing uh so you guys managing uh the property for deer with your neighbors and stuff like that kind of working it's out. only me man my my that's next door nice. neighbor has yeah he has an 18 acre nursery um right that man is my dream to own one day i want to own you know the whole thing um and 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 run a nursery a plant nursery which would be which is kind of a dream of mine as well um so i'm in really good with him and he doesn't hunt so i have all 18 acres you know kind of 
I'm, I got cams and stands and all kinds of stuff all, all over the place. And um, it's great. This is my second year. I got my first buck last year. And, nice, you know, I, I couldn't be more excited for the fall, honestly. But, um, <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. It's crazy that I've never hunted my whole life. Um, my dad's a vegetarian and, you know, doesn't really believe that you have to kill animals to eat. And so it's it's to each his own. And I love deer meat. I love steak and crab meat I, I couldn't live without crabs man it's just that's a that's a baltimore thing but, but it's it's the truth i i absolutely love my seafood so yeah i'm, um, I'm with you man i actually uh so i'm a huge huge bow hunter over here on my end i'm like the that's stereotypical awesome. like western bow hunter i you know spot and stock chase stuff and then like it's now progressed to the point where now i'm like taking deer with like my homemade bows right yeah so, so, more primitive yeah now i've gone you know i got you know i got my like you know twenty five hundred dollar hoits all the way down to like my handmade stuff that i try to get some with every year but funny enough dude i actually found bow hunting because i went vegan for a while wow so, so yeah i just did it as, as an ethical thing and then i missed meat and i was like well if i'm gonna start eating meat i'm gonna figure out the best way of doing it that i feel ethically you know is the right way of doing it so it's yeah with me with like grass-fed stuff you know going out and, fu- and buying you know just purely grass-fed meat to eventually discovering hunting to the fact that like now I would say like 90 percent of all the protein consumption in my house is either meat that we've hunted for ourselves or fish that we've caught you know what i mean yeah i definitely want to get to that point as well i i i, I kind of kicking myself for not harvesting more um deer this year because i i i mean i spent many days amongst them and yeah, yeah. you know could have had a lot more in my freezer i'm actually out right now which stinks <laughs> getting ready to go into this whole Especially corona this mess whole thing, right yeah it's <laughs> unreal i'm like god i'm kicking I, I i literally have like a bag of of hamburger left that's funny man. but um yeah, it's it's a it's a wild thing. A lot. I grew up, you know, out here, and uh, all my friends hunted and and fish. I did fish a little bit when I was younger, but um, yeah. but never went out hunting. And I I'm diehard for for bow hunting. I I don't even I I, I thought about it this year, like going out for the first year first day of, of rifle season. I went out and I heard all these gunshots all, all day long. I'm just like, man, these guys are just mowing them down. It it just it just is not ring home the same way that just being out there with your bow and like blending in with nature and well the other um, thing is over there man there's a process obviously you're you're, you're spending time scouting because most people i think have like the wrong impression of hunting that you're just gonna show up there with your bow and your rifle and boom you're gonna take a deer out they don't understand you know kind of like all those months of preparation whether it's shooting yeah or going out putting up cams trying to figure out what the deer are doing in your property and everything like that it's it's a lot of work man so kudos yeah and there's a science to it and and that's what i that's what i love about it is is learning the patterns that they do and and really you know spending a lot of time doing that it's kind of like the genetic side of the boa breeding Uh, you know it's very intricate and there's a lot that you know, you can do to succeed and excel, or you can just go out on the first day of rifle with your rifle. And, you know, I'm sure there's breeders that just throw bows together and hope that it works, you know? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> so, exactly, yeah. 
same kind of deal but well dude i'm glad to hear that man so consider this a standing invite whenever you're ready to start uh chasing some mule deer and some elk hit me up man i'll be awesome host you at my place that would be incredible we can go chase those things so dude um let's kind of talk back a little bit about the boas and stuff like that so you uh mentioned uh pete call uh Mm -hmm. were there any other guys that mentored you within the reptile community well i wouldn't necessarily say i had any other mentors um you know pete pete i learned a lot of the do's and the don'ts in the industry through him um you know it kind of sucks i wish i would have worked for him maybe 10 10 years earlier right. um because he's he was kind of out of it at that point you know he's caring more about spending time with his family and and um and not really about the whole about snakes like he, he loves the, the snakes he loves the genetics and um the, all that but it's the, the breeding aspect, the taking care of them, that, that whole thing, he, he had a crew, you know, and it wasn't, he wasn't attached to it anymore. So I wish that I could have seen him uh, a little more in action. Um, not that I did it. I mean, gosh, he, he wrangled these monster IMGs that are hissing and striking. And it's just watching the matrix uh, with right. boas, you know, watching his wife, Amy, just, she was amazing down in the boa room. Was awesome. She 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 was so good at handling large snakes and 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 even the babies. You know, it was it was just I learned a lot from both of them. And um, you know, Amy was very hands on. She 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 showed me a lot of the techniques and and the things that I know now, um, probing things like that. So um, yeah, it was, a, it was a team effort. It wasn't it wasn't just Pete. I learned a lot from from Amy as well. Um, God rest her soul. Uh, you know, she she got in an accident there, at, um, so that was uh, that was a very trying time as well. Um, I, I know it's still hitting Pete pretty hard uh, even today, but um, but yeah. So I I learned a lot from them, and and then I opened the shop, the uh, uh, the tattoo shop in 2015, and the whole upstairs. Um, I dedicated to being um, uh, reptiles, and now now mainly strictly boas. Um, I don't really do a whole lot. I was just kind of branching off there, and, and I was going to start breeding Legionis geckos because I really love them. Um, but they're not as easy as boas, believe it or not. And I, I don't want to say that boas are easy, but to me they are because I've, I've learned it and, you know, um, taking care of them and, and – having the proper husbandry techniques uh, down to a T is, is a lot different. And, and so breeding geckos and, and having a, a humidity difference and um, things like that, it just, it just wasn't what I could see doing as, um, as a part-time business. You know, I, 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 I am a hobby. I, li- I like doing boas as a hobby too. And I have a, like a little hobby collection of boas at home that I don't really think about breeding as much, but, um, but then I, I do look at the bow as, as a business, you know, a lot of people are out there, um, you know, I want to instill these, these hobbyist, um, uh, laws into people like saying that people overfeed and do this and do that. And, you know, um, 
when I look at it, I, I have a proper regimen, and my boas are real small compared to a lot of people's boas. Um, yeah, no, I'm with you on that. I, I like to to give them time and and digest them, and then I like to fatten them up in the in the summertime. You know, in the summertime, they eat if they, if the boa really is acting hungry, give it give it another meal because it can take it and it's wanting that. And especially if it's a female and you're getting ready to breed that that season, then you want her to have some meat on her, and you want to have those nice big perfect healthy litters. So, um, I, re I really, you know, started out small. I had, uh, probably like 30, 30 boas to begin with, uh, when I started breeding. Um, and I struck out my first year of breeding, um, which I had, by the way, at Pete's, you know, we'd have been doing a lot of breeding. So, you know, I, I never had my own litters while I worked for Pete, actually. Um, I, I, until I got some of the bigger females from him to start my collection, um, I, I hadn't had a lot of huge snakes or anything like that. So um, it wasn't until 2016 um, that I had my first uh, successful pairing. Um, 2017 was when I had my first purple litter, uh, which was really kind of rewarding because I, I imported that snake in 2014. So, you know, three years to get that male to breed, you know, to breeding size. And um, I bred him to a hypo, uh, a super hypo uh, from Mike Weitzman that was 66% possible hit BWC. So I was trying to make those, those paraglows, you know, and, and um, you know, at the time, I, they would have been, they would have been, you know, world's first thing. So I was really excited about it. And. Um, the male actually, and this is something that's been really crazy. The male actually ended up proving out jungle and a lot of the snakes that I imported over the years have ended up being jungles, um, that came from Europe. And so I think that there's a, a lot of stuff going on over there that, um, you know, that they don't really know what they're looking at. You know what I mean? So no, I'm with you. And, I, and, and we're seeing a bunch of different, not only European lines, whether it be the purples or whether it be like the uh, uh, the Lindy line or of jungling and a couple of the other like uh, proprietary kind of jungling lines that they were coming out here. I think they're barely investigating that on, on their own over there now. You know what I mean? Yeah. Only well, now, and that's just it. Now their eyes are becoming, I would say, only now it, it's a fact that a lot of European eyes are now looking for the more subtle indicators of morphs. Mm -hmm. That, And now they're essentially developing that and developing those specific lines out there. But there's a lot of good stuff. I suspect over the next, like, you know, five years, even crazier stuff's going to start coming out of Europe and infiltrating their way in the, in the U.S. In a lot of ways, I think... When it comes to when it comes to color and patterning and boas, they might actually be ahead of us. Yeah, well, and I think that they mixed in some stuff. Well, I mean, it's hard to say because I've had many conversations with many, many breeders. I have a lot of good relationships with a lot of guys. Um, you know, Michael Roscoe, Thomas Cobb, yep. and Richard Del Bono, all those guys. Um, so we, we all are, we all have great relationships, and and we we love talking information and sharing information and. Um, you know, amping each other up about our, our future projects and, and, and that kind of thing. Um, but what I've, what I've heard is that there were some ridiculous purple sharps in the States from Anthony Fama Smith and, and, yeah, and actually, you know, I think, Mike, I think Mike Roscoe actually told me that, uh, when we were just yep. talk, talking on the phone uh, a couple of days ago. 
Yeah, so where those boas ever went, I don't know. But I, I can guarantee that how Anthony got them was by mixing in something like a jungle or a Guyana or something that has this underlying pastel trait because the original sharps uh, n didn't have any color. They were just very nice, contrasty, you know, red clean. tails. Yeah, clean, clean yep, real clean. And so that when they got introduced with these other these other codoms, these other traits, um, you know, things started started happening. And I, I'm I'm really intrigued by that. I really want to um, you know break it down even further uh, than I than I've even done already. Which I haven't. I've only scratched the surface, honestly. Um, which is a lot to say because there, I have some ridiculously purple and blue looking snakes, but oh, yeah, you do, man. but I'm not. I'm just saying, like, man, compared to what is coming, th these are they're not a whole. They're not that crazy, you know. Things are going to get really, really intense over the next few years. Um, so, I mean, it's 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 a very exciting uh, time to be to be doing what we're doing. Um, the IMG thing is uh, is pretty cool. That was a big time goal of mine um, that I wanted to I wanted to mix IMG and purple together. Now the purple gene isn't defined yet. Um, we're still working on uh, figuring out why it does what it does, and um, you know why you can have this really ridiculous purple snake as a baby and. Um, yeah, after two years of growth, it, it starts really losing that purple and kind of changes to an orange or red color. Uh, and then you have a snake that isn't very colorful as a baby at all, and then ends up being a really intense blue or bluish purple uh, snake as an adult. Um, you know, there's there's definitely some different traits that are adding to that mix. I think that there's some probably some red pastel. I think that the, that you know when you mix red and blue you get purple and you know the the more amounts of these pastel traits that are involved in the snake the more kind of muddy it's going to look um which i'm sure you've seen some some of those photos from the europe where the guys have a snake and it's like solid maroon like oh, yeah. you know especially stuff like coming out of like the czech republic and yep. places like yep. that yeah so the, you know these got some of those guys are definitely doing that and double dosing triple dosing quad dosing um their snakes and, and really creating these intense colors, but, but nobody is stripping it down to the basics and, and then even taking it further to taking it back to, to normalcy, like non-albino. Um, you know, that's where I really want to go. I want to take it back to see what these snakes look like when they're just normal Colombians, you know, or, or, or normal jungles or whatever's going to pop out. You know, if you could take it back to normal Colombian, like could, could that be a different looking Colombian boa than we've ever seen? You know what I mean? Yeah, no, I'm with you, man. So real quick, let's uh, jump back kind of to uh, your personal life. Tell me about a little bit about your hobbies uh, outside of reptiles. Yeah, well, we touched on bow hunting as one of them. Yep. Yeah. yeah, that's a big. That's been a big thing. I mean, I honestly, I, I kind of, I was a little selfish this year. And I shut my uh, I shut my my tattooing down sorta in uh, in the fall in October and November and um, I I really focused on being out in the woods and and doing things right and you know making sure that I'm I'm not uh, spooking the deer and and doing things that are that you know you know about it it's yeah, it's yeah, just definitely. it's very it's intense and you got to make sure that you um, you know, don't make the wrong moves or you, you'll miss that opportunity. 
um, that you might, that you might have had. So, and I did. I definitely missed that opportunity. <laughs> but, well, that's part of the game, right there. Man. Yeah, you live and you learn. I will not make the same mistake next year. Now you know. Oh, that's I, what you say now. You yeah, know what's gonna happen. I'm gonna make a different mistake. Yeah, that's what I'm exactly. gonna do. <laughs> exactly, dude. Exactly. So I definitely do. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm big into bow hunting, um, which is cool uh, because there's a big time fitness thing that, that's involved with that as well. Absolutely. And um, you know, you definitely got to be fit to be out there bow hunting. It's not like you could be sitting in a tree stand eating a sandwich, um, you know, at 5:30 in the morning. It's it's uh, it's wild. So. I'm doing that, and um, my wife and I, um, we have some friends that we enjoy going camping with, um, which I love hiking and camping overnight and doing things like that out in the wilderness. Uh, she, she's a little more, she likes the glamping, she likes having a shower and yeah. things like that for the kids, being able to wash the baby off in the tub, and um, I understand it, but, um, you know, I, I like sleeping in a hammock and, and enjoying nature more. Um, but I like, uh, I like doing a lot of stuff like that. I like snowboarding and surfing and, um, we go to the beach every year. Um, and I try to get as much of that in as possible out in New Jersey's. There's some decent waves. If you watch the surf tracker, you can, you can catch some good swells coming in. And, um, I get to do a lot less of that these days, uh, with kids and things, but, um, the, the older they get, the more they're going to get into to stuff like that. And, um, Let's see, geez. Really, lately, we just have been enjoying spending time with friends, um, old friends from high school. We've kind of, they have kids of the same age, and oh, um, they only, yeah, so we'll go and, like, have bonfires and, you know, just shoot the shit and talk. They're all hunters, so, like, it's it's really cool that we get so to. That's, that's the new commonality now that you've joined into, huh? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Like it was a little, you know, when I was growing up, I was always into extreme sports and stuff and they were always hunters. So, you know, I'm, I'm, I was quite the different breed back then. And not that I don't love that. I mountain bike and and dirt bike a lot. That's how I I just broke my shoulder three weeks ago, uh, dirt biking. And, you know, I, I, if you, if you're not riding hard and you're not living, man, and, and that's how I think, that's how I think we're staying young. You know, I'm, I'm going to try to keep doing as much as I can to, to, to stay young and stay fit and, um, take care of my body, eat right. You know, that's a big thing, eating right and not stuffing my face full of all that junk food that we got out there these days. Um, and that's a huge thing when it comes to taking care of your snakes, man. You know, there's a lot of people out there. If you're not taking care of yourself, then what are your standards for your for your collection? You know, and, and your husbandry practices for your right. So you know, if you if you look at Pete Call, man, he's fit. He's still fit, and he's in his fifties. He's he you know he he can go out there and fire up his dirt bike and rip around with the best of them. So you know, it's you can get in the, and work thirty hours in a hot you know, 78, 80 degree shop all day. And, uh, it takes a lot to be able to do that sometimes. So, um, yeah, man, I love it. I'm, I'm going to keep, keep doing the things that I want to do. That's kind of been my whole premise ever since I started being in business for myself was that, you know, in this life we should be able to do whatever we want to do. All right, man. So, uh, tell me a little bit about, uh, burn slow studios, how that kind of came together. All right. Well, we, uh, like I was saying earlier, my wife and I, uh, moved to PA and, um, 
um, I was working for Harley Davidson and ended up finding this amazing deal on this property. Uh, it's an old 1867 brick house uh, in the town of Littlestown. And um, I, I went and you still with me? Can you hear me? Yeah, I'm here. Yeah. Okay, cool. Um, I, uh, I went ahead and put an offer in and um, was able to get this place for a really killer price. And it's only five minutes from my house. So um, I had this dream to turn it into, you know, my, my own private tattoo shop. Um, so I ended up, I, I bought the place and uh, refurbished it, turned it into kind of more of a studio uh, vibe like a real it's real homey it's nice I got did a lot of uh, interior uh, I got walnut on the walls um, I, I like doing a lot of woodworking and building and um, so we did some really cool stuff I ended up uh, found out that when, after I bought it I ripped up the carpet and there's a really beautiful white oak soldier step flooring that I refinished and um, it just it just is kind of like a meant to be situation, you know what I mean? It just like all the pieces kept falling falling in place, and totally. um, I'm not gonna say it wasn't hard work because it definitely was. And um, my dad my dad was a big part in helping me helping me uh, you know do a lot of the the renovations and things like that. So um, we uh, we built the place, and I actually got back into tattooing full time. I, I left Harley Davidson um, at really the right time. Harley, Harley kind of started selling out and, um, you know, I was really kind of not as with the company as I was, you know, earlier on. Right. And, um, you know, once Harley started producing parts in China, I was just like, man, I can't, I can't get behind it anymore. But, right, um, I have a, I have a really awesome Harley. That's the first year fat boy. It's a, a really cool collector's bike and it's kind of got some really cool heritage. Um, but I don't know. I don't ride anymore. Whole I, I got kids now, and it's a it's just a whole whole different thing. It's tucked I'm away. You, man, and... I was able to ride up until maybe until my oldest was like fifteen, sixteen. But I had her super young, right? Because because I, I had my daughter when I was eighteen. Yeah. And then uh, eventually, when my younger ones started growing up, I I, I was riding. Uh, kind of a scary ass chopper i would say um yeah super like old school 70s style yeah the hardtail hardtail oh no front yeah. brakes brutal when i would hit a turn too fast my front tire would skip you know yeah what I mean? that's crazy so eventually i decided uh had to put that behind me you know so i'm with you on that well and i i was uh before I started working for Harley, I actually worked for uh, uh, an import or a, a European and Japanese uh, manufacturer and uh, was selling crotch rockets and, and four-wheelers and dirt bikes and stuff like that. And I was always on a crotch rocket, usually yeah. a Gixxer 1000 or, or yeah, something. Gixxer 1000 too, man. Yeah, and they were, you know, I was living like, fast. That's how I got to my, uh, my apprenticeships and over to Pete's house a bunch. I would fly and just you know, living by the seat of my pants at the age of 21. And Listen, dude, I think that's a lot of us, brother. Yep. I was doing it was, the same exact thing. I mean, you gotta, you gotta learn. You got luckily I didn't fall and I didn't die. And you know, all those crazy things that could have happened that you now look back, you know, 10 years ago and you're like, man, I can't believe that I did that. <laughs> well, I think you might've been smarter than me. Cause I actually ate shit on the Yoko Yoko highway in Japan. Oh, jeez. And yeah, dude, I was going fast. 
Wow. <laughs> Luckily, I was uh, full full leather. You know what I mean? Yeah. Oh yeah. Helmet, so I came out of it okay. You know, little beat up. That's that's good. That's real good. Yeah. Well, so I, I put that. You know, put riding. Now I like I said, I live five minutes away and. Um, you know, the the <laughs> <laughs> no, I actually ride a, I, I, I do drive a lot because I have my children, so I have to either get them to a babysitter or, or get my kid to school or whatever. But, um, I do, I, you know, I take a road bike, uh, and when it's warmer out, I'll, I'll road bike, uh, to and from, and just to get some exercise in during the day, because yeah, no, sure. when you're a tat, when you're a tattoo artist, you sit in a chair all day and you know, there's not a lot, a whole lot of exercising going on, um, with that. It's 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 pretty brutal so being so able to go you, out yeah so let me ask you this dude like what motivated you to kind of start pursuing art as a career like were you always an artistic kid and then just things yeah. fell the place or how, how did that mm -hmm. work yeah when i was a kid i mean i wasn't i wouldn't necessarily say i was an art i wasn't like an 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 artsy kid uh i was always in into drawing and and intrigued and art class and things like that and I always did well um, my dad is an architect so he oh, he yeah he, he can draw pretty dang well and freehand at that you know pulling straight lines with 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 no ruler and um, so that was always you know something that that I was into and um, a lot of my friends growing up I, I think drew covers for the yearbooks in school and did things like that but I, I was never like in the art class doing extracurricular activities or anything like that. I, I played football and lacrosse and you know what I mean? Like I was a very active student and, right. uh, and doing sports and things like that. And then after I'd get done at school, I'd go and snowboard uh, and work it. I worked at the local ski resort for five years and, um, you know, snowboarding and doing that kind of thing. So I was constantly active. Um, but once I became a tattoo artist, it was like, man, all that stuff slowed down because then you're sitting in a chair all day focusing on artwork. And um, and I'm I'm a kind of all-over-the-place artist. Like, I have many paintings that I've started and not finished. And I have, you know, lots of projects like that. I used to – I got into do, car, carving tobacco pipes out of wood. Mm. Um, I would import the briar from Italy and Greece and do it the right way. And I got all this – bought all these awesome tools. And my wife was always pissed at me for buying and – you know, lathes and sanding tables. And right. so I got a whole, I have a pipe workshop at my house that's just abandoned. <laughs> um, so it's, you know, it's a, it's a wild thing. Um, this, this whole like artistic mind that I have, I love throwing pottery and doing pottery. I'm big into bonsais and bonsai pots. I collect really rare pieces of, of, uh, bonsai pottery from Japan and, and, um, you know, ancient China stuff like that it's uh it's kind of a it's kind of my 401k <laughs> compared to some other people you know they they put their money in stocks and and things like that and i i i have you know bonsai pots that are that are worth more than cars and right. you know that's that's something i'm i'm like you know a hundred year old pot that's made better than most artists can make a pot these days you know what i mean right. it's no, it's a lost art form and you know i, I want to definitely dive deeper into you know those kinds of things i want to so what do you think it attracts you to that do you think it's just like the high level of attention the detail that was required to kind of produce that stuff yeah 
definitely the 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 skill the craftsmanship you know i really enjoy enjoy craftsmanship of, of all forms you know whether it's it's designing a pot or designing a tree and and growing a tree in a certain form or building a building a guitar or uh, even a house. I, I absolutely love drawing houses. You know, it's, it's ironic that my dad's an architect, but it, I did when I was in school. I, I love sketching out like, you know, different views of a house that I would want to live in one day. And, um, and I think that that definitely has a, um, a spot in, uh, kind of goes hand in hand with this, with the snakes, because I feel like I'm creating this this beautiful work of art, but it's living, you know, as a, it's an animal. But you're um, seeing it through like an, an artist's perspective. Correct. Which I think yeah. Is super unique. Yeah. And, and I'm, and I'm so like, I feel like I'm just, I, I, it's, it's definitely more about doing something that somebody else hasn't ever done. You know, uh, that's been kind of like uh, a goal of mine my whole life. I felt like, you know, growing up, my older brother always used to copy me and, and you know follow in my in in the things that i was doing and and i always wanted to be doing something different than everybody else you know what i mean i wanted to go and kind of make my own path and find my own way to do it and and but not even so much find my own way to do it as to just do something totally different right. you know than than every than, than the way that everybody else is doing things or or their their thinking and um you know, that kind of innovation is really what intrigues me the most. So let me ask you this. Um, obviously, you're looking at boas with an artist's eyes, and you're creating, just like when you create a boa through very specific breeding, whether the result works out or not, it's permanent. So in that sense, it's a lot like tattooing, right? Yes. And in the world of tattooing, obviously, you deal with all kinds of people, and you'll deal with, you know, the the most higher echelons of society to the lower echelons of society, the most easygoing folks to the most neurotic folks. So yep. tell us some stories and kind of some techniques that you've picked up through your career in tattooing uh, with how to deal with difficult customers that might be able to be <clears throat> the guys in the reptile community when they're dealing with difficult customers. Yeah, and it goes hand in hand. It really does. Um, you know, I mean, it, it's kind of any kind of retail out there. Luckily, it's not like retail. I have worked in retail stores Growing up, I used to work in a shop called Wave Dancer. It was a surf shop and snowboard and all that stuff. And man, dealing with those kinds of customers is definitely uh, kind of a headache. But um, but when you're when you're talking tattoos, and especially where I've migrated my business to to being, and that's just, it, it's kind of the same as, as what I've done with the with my boa business as well. Um, you know, I'm I'm I am definitely target targeting a different. Um, demographic than just tattooing everybody and and selling a snake to anybody um you know i want my demographic the people that i'm dealing with the people that i want to sell boas to i want them to have that value that i have um you know in my in my tattoos and in my and in my boa breeding and um you know i want them to see that so i'll spend days talking to people about the boas and um, and I'll spend days tattooing, um, lots and lots of tattooing on one piece, you know what I mean? So it, it kind of, you have, you have a definitely a totally different customer base, um, cause you're selling a live animal versus doing a piece of artwork for somebody, but they are permanent and you know, you, you mess up a permanent piece of artwork, 
you know, it's it's messed up, you, you, and, and it's always going to be messed up until somebody fixes it. So, um, you know, when it comes down to it, I I definitely take pride in in what I do in both businesses, um, and I and I'm you know pretty. I don't I wouldn't necessarily say strict. I'm not like a I'm not like a super crazy clean freak, and you know that kind of thing. I'm not at all, um, but. I definitely have, you know, some high standards and, um, like I was saying, uh, targeting uh, a different demographic. I I used to tattoo everything that came through the door. And then I got to the point where I was so busy that I was tattooing every day, all day, making great money. But, you know, life is not about making great money. I mean, money is definitely a good thing and it can help you and help the world go around. But, um, I was not a happy person when I'd go home and, and have extreme back pain and, you know, not, and then not want to worry, not want to work with snakes the next day because I'm sore, um, you know, or, or that kind of thing. So it's, it's finding that balance. Um, and, and so now I'm, I'm more targeting people and, um, a clientele base that wants a piece of my artwork rather than coming in and saying, Hey, I want my mom's name uh, and her dates or whatever. Um, you know, if you're going to let me, if you let me run with it and create you a beautiful piece of artwork, then that's what I'm here to do. Uh, rather than just tattoo a design you brought in off of Pinterest. Um, so I, I, and I still, well, I know you, I used to because I would leave my door wide open to those people. Right. So, you know, lately I've kind of made it more like, Hey, this is a, more of a private studio. I'm looking to create a piece of artwork for somebody, not just give you a tattoo and send you on your way. I want to create a, a lifelong friendship, uh, with, with my clients and, you know, I want them to keep coming back and I want them to send their friends in and their wives and husbands and, you know, and, that way I can, my clientele is now more of a a community or a family than just a client, just a person that came to get a tattoo. And Um, you feel that's pretty similar to how uh, essentially like the community you've established with among your your customers in the reptile world? As well. Yes. And, and, and going more that direction for sure. I, I, I don't just want to sell a boa to, to somebody. And, you know, obviously with the boas that I've been producing and, and working with, I've spent a lot of my own money, my hard earned tattoo money on these boas and building my collection to the, to the, be the best that it can be. And, uh, you know, I've spent thousands and thousands of dollars. I mean, one year I spent 27,000 on an import. <laughs> so like, I've, I've really pushed for that because I wanted to have the best stuff. I wanted to have, you know, the best genetics, the next level stuff that people don't know about yet. Or, or when you combine two genes, it's going to create something that nobody knows about or hasn't seen yet. And, um, you know, so I want to instill that, uh, I definitely want to instill that kind of, um, uh, value in my customer base so that they know that, what they're getting from me isn't just a purple boa, you know, or a boa that could possibly end up not being purple as a three-year-old or something, you know. Um, that's the whole premise behind the nebula boa. The right. when I when I named the nebula boa, everybody, not everybody, there was a lot of people that were all about it and, and loved it, and then there was a couple other breed, big name breeders that that bashed it and said, "Oh, you shouldn't name a a codon with you know polygenic thing." And I'm like, well, you know, if I were to market it as a as a purple IMG, 
then what are you going to expect? You're going to expect a purple boa that has IMG characteristics. Um, well, IMG in alb- albinism turns white. So, you know, you can't expect your boa to just be purple and white. So when these IMGs came out and they were, let me tell you, like, it was like uh, fruit punch, you know, like there was just so many different colors and, and all of the nebulas looked totally different to each other. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't like, it wasn't like a, a boa that came out and then there were five of them that looked this way. You know what I mean? It came out and there was like uh, a confetti of different colors. And I mean, th- these, these nebulas have colors that I've never seen before. I, I, I've seen many IMG calls at Pete's 10 years ago. You know, everybody's coming out with call IMGs nowadays and they're like, oh, these are so cool. But Pete had stuff that was mind blowing 10 years ago that people never saw. So, you know, I, I, I've seen that and I've seen what they become as adults. You know, they, a lot of them get really, really white. And, um, you know, not to say that some of the nebulas, I, I have two nebulas uh, that are kind of getting a little more white and I have two that are crazy colors. So it just depends on, on the different genetics. And these first round of nebulas are only single dose uh, purple. So if I have a a really purple nebula and I get to cross it to one of my best purple females next year, then I'm going to have the real intense colored IMGs that are even more sought after than what the nebulas are now. So, um, you know, obviously every year we progress and, and we strive for the next thing. And, um, the nebula is definitely a really cool morph. And I think the, the one nebula that I created last year, she's, I'm pretty sure that she's a super hypo. Um, a super hypo jungle IMG purple sharp sun glow. Um, so she, she's just off the charts and, um, it's just the, it's just wild to see how different each one can look, uh, compared to each other. And then, and then the whole tail thing. So I have this big theory on the purple genetic and that there's definitely two, there's two, I think there's two different genetics involved. Um, I think that it's, that and, I, and I, a litter this year will will really help. I have two litters cooking that are um, that are definitely going to help us dissect and kind of see what's going on um, and and further the project a little bit more. And then next year um, will hopefully solidify my theory. Um, you know, between the two, there's there's these purple boas that are really that are real purple and drastic purple looking, especially as babies, and they have really orange tails. Uh, and, and more orangey saddles up towards the head, they get a little more red, but, but as adults, man, they're really orange, orange and purple. And then there's these boas that came from the same litters that come from the same litters, you know, that these, these European purple litters and stuff that are popping out. And then some of these other ones have really, really saturated red tails and more of a bluish purple background. Um, and so there's the theory that, oh, yeah, there's this blue line and then there's this purple line. Well, no, I don't think that's the case. I think that there's a pastel gene that's involved here, but I think that there are two different looking boas um, in the end game. You know, let's strip away the purple and the pasteling, but what's causing the boa to have a red tail versus an orange tail? Um, and, and, you know, would you, and would you say, like, this is, like, 
that work that you're doing right now is kind of the primary focus of uh, your boa breeding at the moment, or is there other boa projects that you're also into? Oh man, that's just that. I would say that the purple boas are probably they were my main focus for a little while, um, and they still are. I, I I definitely am pushing for the craziest blue and purple snakes I can possibly get um, for sure. Uh, and mixing IMG and then mixing in Paradox. I mean, I did, um, my brother and I split a litter. Uh, they, they were, they were actually both, both the adults were mine and he was trying to acquire them from me. And, um, so he, I gave them to him, he bred them and we had purple jungle paraglows. Um, and we split the, the six of them. And, and, um, so I've got two that are extremely purple that are paraglows. And now I want to throw in the IMG genetic with that and double dose it and, you know, really get some wild T positive stuff going on, um, with the sharp genetic. So I definitely yeah, have a, I'm with you on that. dude, I'm actually cooking a, a batch of those at the moment. Yeah. With that's one the, with one of the purples I got from, with the purple male that I got from you. Cool. Yeah. Awesome. So, so that's what I mean. Like that, so you, if you're cooking, yeah, I mean, it would be great to see what that looks like. You know what I mean? And, yeah. and push that, keep pushing that envelope because there hasn't been a, a, a whole lot done with the, the, the T positive connection with the sharp stuff, you know, like, man, there's paradise and like, prodigy yeah, and exactly. it's like too muddy almost that people were too scared to get into it. Like, you know, but I've seen some of the stuff that, uh, Jeff Ron's produced. That's really cool. And Joel Diaz, I got a, a beautiful, beautiful um paradise motley from him that is just i mean an awesome boa uh it's the only paradise i own but you know i i I had to have her when i saw her you know boom i'll I'll take that snake any day and you know so i'm i'm still i I like to think of myself as i I am a breeder and all but i still will will pay top dollar for a snake that somebody produces i i i bought a lot of snakes from mike weitzman um you know um Michael Roscoe and I have talked about doing a bunch of different stuff. And um, so definitely a lot on the horizon. I, I do definitely have some cool other cool projects going on. I have, um, um, like I had mentioned a little while ago about the sunsets. My uh, uh, A good friend of mine um, that I've done some good business with uh, over the past few years, Jamie Post in Amsterdam, uh, has some beautiful hypo hog and sunset uh litters and um I've, I've managed to get a couple of them and um so i'm mixing that in with some more hog island stuff some tea positive some desert tea positive because i think that there's some hog island or costa rica thing going on there um so i have a gravid female there that is going to be some really cool looking babies yeah, and, I, and i think that's probably in, in my opinion honestly i think that desert tea positive stuff is one of the genes that i think five years from now is going to start blowing up yeah, it's very underrated, and only a few guys were. Yeah. Yep, only like a few got, guys are. My MG snows that I'm cooking, so we'll see how those end up looking. Because I have no idea what that's going to even look. Yeah, like. man, I had a I I had a pairing that for an IMG snow litter, um, but the male just wasn't doing his thing. He's, I think he was just a little young, um, and you know we'll try again here in uh, this coming season, and you know hope for the best. I got a couple. Uh, I definitely have some really cool VPI projects going. Um, so and you've missed, you've started to try to bring a lot more color into the VPI line too, right? Yeah, well, and that that's a really big, uh, I would say, a, a milestone or an accomplishment that I that I had this year with that 
uh, with that Red Panther, Pink Panther crossing. Um, the the Pink Panther that I had came from um, Mike Weitzman, which I believe came from Doug Morris, which came from uh, straight from uh, the uh, from Tracy and um, Dave from VPI. So. Right this snake was so pink as a baby and then it turned black because she was IMG, but like beautiful pink, uh, with black background, uh, baby. And then the, the, the dad was from straight from Kyle Frost and and he said it was his best litter. (coughs) I mean, best male of the litter. And he ended up proving jungle. So I, I really kind of, I got a little lucky, um, you know, with the jungle gene flopping in there and, um, and that snake as an adult is one of my best snakes in my collection. Uh, I got to say, you know, Kyle made some amazing animals. Thomas Kyle will probably uh, agree with that. And um, I, definitely, I definitely think he would. So, but here's the thing, you know, with this whole Red Panther, the, there's been a, there. I wish that somebody could come out and really give a great definition of what it is. Because I, I talked to Jeff, um, who really is kind of the godfather of the Red Panther line, because supposedly his monster tail female was the mom that was then bred which she's a, a pastel dream monster tail right. and then and then bred to a red pastel um which then you know created this really awesome red saddled red sided red panther lineage which i don't know if that's the same thing that kyle had or not i think it is um and i think that manny Frade was the one that that created that cross um so I, I want to definitely dig a little bit deeper, but I mean, man, now we got three three pastel genetics in this litter that I just had. Then, so I have pastel dream, pink panther, and red panther, and then there's potentially monster tail floating around in there, which is also something that's that I that I want to note is that the the, the mom, the female had, uh, and I gotta say this, they're they are the they are. Uh, four months apart the male is four months younger than the female and they're the same size wow yeah this male is just a monster that i got from kyle and he's got these big circles in his saddles that that really remind me of what the monster tails look like and um and then half the litter she had 15 perfectly healthy babies it was her first litter i was so shocked when 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 she had them it was like you know you know that feeling when you have when you have babies man i mean it's just it's and then to have a perfect litter with no slugs and 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 then I held up the two the two IMG visuals that I made that are just I I just love them so much I you know I couldn't be happier with the way that they turned out but but the female is double the size of the male and I just can't figure out why you know like half the litter was big and half the litter was 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 smaller and I just don't know if that's maybe the monster tail gene at play or <clears throat> or nor not i don't know you know my sharp litter but my two sharp litters that i had this year were both smaller size babies like these couple vpis that came out were double the size of the rest of these babies is wild so i can't explain it i don't know what it is um you know i'm not really seen that before uh so it's uh it's exciting you know territory to go into here and um and just the, the biggest snake out of that litter is is the female and she's just just an unbelievable img you know 
I, I you got you're gonna have to see her one day, man. That's all I gotta say. It's just it's just wild to see the colors that are in this in this boa and to watch her grow. I can and, tell you that whatever IMGs you end up you're utilizing, the IMGs that I got from you, man, those guys are like they are the darkest IMGs that I own. And I have well, and I wanted to touch. I do want to say something about that because there is a lot of controversy out there on the quality of the IMG genetic, um, you know. And I really, I, everybody wants to say what they think they know, but I mean, I worked for the guy that had the that, that started it and had and had hundreds of them. I mean, we're not talking just a handful of them. Hundreds, yeah. hundreds, probably over a thousand IMGs. Oh, that's insane. Yeah, so, and that included the original female. When I was working there, she was stood there, and and he, I don't think he had he he hadn't bred her in a year, but she she had a huge like sixty seven or sixty nine litter uh, monster snake, dude. I mean, thirteen foot, huge, like ten inches around, just a monster animal. The IMG gene is a very very strong genetic, and this this female was jet black. So <clears throat> the majority of the snakes in Pete's facility, you know, were really black. And until you started putting in hypo and super hypo or jungle or motley and these other genetics, did you start seeing some of the color staying? Um, you know, and so I don't, I'm not, I don't, I will never ever tell somebody that that their IMG is poor quality because it's not keep, it's not getting super jet black. Like that does not define how good your IMG is because that same IMG will kick out 50% of the litter in its offspring and some of them will be jet black. There's that as a guarantee every single time. So and, and, and one, thing, one thing I want to bring up to note on that dude is that just because a particular, let's call it a particular line of IMG, even though we know there's one originating line, but let's, right. now with all the outcrossings that have gone on through the years and everything else, like I said, I probably have, um, so I got some IMG babies from you, and I think I have like four others that are about the same size, and the ones I got from you are like the blackest of the black of the black, right? And yeah. they're still, you know, they're babies still, they're, they're young ones, they're, they're yearlings, I think, right? And I and that being said, those are going to be awesome. But for me, that serves a, as a very specific ingredient. The ones that aren't as dark. Now, my plans with those is now I can start utilizing them on projects that I want to infuse color into, but not necessarily create an overpowering of color. You know what I mean? Yeah. So even yeah. the shitty, the quote unquote shittier quality IMGs, I think, still have a function in the in the hobby if if leverage leverage correct you know what i mean yeah. well and that's you it's know like that's definitely it's like painting with different shades of red right you it, can it, leverage it for different part different different uh, projects right it is it is definitely like i said that you know with that with that shittier img i don't want to say shittier but like know, it's less less, thing, less black it's not, you know, it's not, it's definitely not a lower quality IMG. It is, it is the same quality. It's just less black and it has a genetic that's fighting against the black in there. So, you know, the, the boas that you have for me, um, uh, at least the one IMG is, is pos head anery. So there may be anery genetic floating in there that's creating it to be more dark black. Right. Um, you know, the, 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 there's some that there is, I think one IMG that I sold that ended up being jungle because it didn't, 
go all the way black. So it's got like a cer- you know, circles on its back that are nice and light, uh, lighter and, you know, hasn't gone super black. So it just, it really just depends on the other genes that you're mixing in there, not necessarily the gene that the IMG gene That's that you have. Yeah. yeah. It's a, it's a, it's definitely about the concoction of, of genes that you have in there. And that could even include, you know, polygenic trait, pastel traits and stuff. So, you know, the, the pastel traits that are at play, you know, could mess with how dark your, your scales are going to end up getting. So, yep, it's, it's a wild thing. And I, I definitely am keeping on, you know, pushing on to the next level. I've got some, some other cool projects. Um, I, I have, um, some Honduran fire belly and, uh, and Mandarin belly, um, from France. So I definitely dabbled in that a little bit just to have some of that flavor, uh, whatever that may be. Cause you know, there's a lot of stuff coming around and a lot of different morphs popping out and you just, you just never know what something's going to be. So when a good deal pops up, it's not a bad idea to, to invest. So I, uh, I definitely like doing that. Um, I, I have invested with, uh, Kevin Hasley from, the UK with some really cool animals. He's doing some cool, uh, Inca, Inca paradigm stuff. So I, I have this unbelievable female from him that I've been raising. Um, I mean, I mean, unbelievable. If there is a super Inca, she's, she's probably it because she's just flawless. I mean, purely symmetrical or whole body and perfect pattern. I, I, I can't even believe he sold her to me, honestly, because she's just that amazing. You know, like if she was my snake, I would not have even, shown anybody you know what i mean <clears throat> so yeah i'm definitely um definitely pushing for some cool stuff i've got some fire gene genetics i i, I had a really awesome pairing this year that was uh fire marin sharp sunglo jungle craziness but wow. didn't take so the female is a little young she's she's uh three and a half so she's just right there where i i definitely wanted to introduce the male and and see if she would do but I don't think she was quite ready, so I took them out after a couple months and fed them both, and they're back to being raised up a little bit more, and we'll try again next year. Awesome, man. So let's talk about a little bit about some lessons learned when you set up uh, both your tattoo business and your reptile business. What are some of those lessons that you want to kind of pass down to people uh, considering opening up their own businesses? Uh, You mean like... Lessons as a business owner or lessons in each particular business? As a business owner and then uh, maybe uh, within each, each one of Within each. Yeah. Well, so as a business owner, um, you know, the, I'd say the, the biggest life lesson is to just not, really not hold back. You know, if you're going to go for something, uh, don't, don't half-ass it. You know what I mean? Um, now running businesses for me is really kind of a piece of cake and I, I definitely enjoy being a business for myself, but you can't be afraid to ask questions and talk to people that are business owners and do things like that. You know, there's so much information out there and you just got to be willing to go ask the worst that you, that you could do is get shut down. You know, if you're not willing to talk to people about their businesses or how to do this and how to do that, you know, then you, then you have too much pride and you, you know, you're never going to learn the right way. So, you know, and that's to say, like, I mean, I've been tattooing for 10 years and um, I still have questions that I'll ask my old mentor and, 
you know, things like that. Not not as much now, but there's still stuff that'll that'll pop up, and I'll be like, hey, have you seen this before? Or you know, like uh, that kind of thing. Or if I got to hit up Mike Roscoe or Jeremy or somebody about a boa question, I'll, I I have no shame in asking somebody. You know, just the other day I was on the phone with Thomas Cobb. I had a boa that was real fat and squishy, and um, and I wasn't sure why it was like that it was a uh one of the imports i got in and and uh it's it's from the milk bellies in rat in baby rats if you give rats too small or or mice too small then the the bo- some boas can't digest that milk and you know they'll get real fat and pudgy and they eventually kill them yeah. so you know i have no problem asking for advice or things like that because that's only going to help you succeed it's it's not going to make you look weak or you know, anything like that. And if they want to think you're weak, then let them think you're weak. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I, 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 that's one mistake that I definitely made in the BOA world was um, standing up for myself, uh, which, you know, you don't really have to do. If, you're, if your product is quality, which I definitely take pride in my tattoos and, and push for the best quality tattoo I can possibly give somebody. Um, and it's the same thing goes for the snakes. So, you know, when, when you're producing quality stuff and you have good standards and, and practices, you know, you, you let that stuff s- speak for itself. You don't have to get on Facebook and fight somebody, you know, because they want to bash you. Um, you know, that was a big, that was a big lesson that I learned. And I, I believe it or not, I, <clears throat> when, I, when I had that happen on Facebook a couple of years back, you know, the whole nebula, uh, spiel that went down, uh, you know, I, I definitely got some positive positive feedback from it, but there was also negative feedback from it, and you know, people saying that I kind of look like an asshole, and you know, I, de- I don't want to ever pro- project that. Um, I don't want people to ever think that I'm that I am an asshole, or you know, that I have <clears throat> any kind of you know m- money, you know, elitism, whatever. I mean, yeah, I, I want to make good money, and I want to I want people to to have value in the product that I'm that I'm selling product or I shouldn't say product because it's a live animal and that'll definitely piss some people off. But, uh, <laughs> but, uh, you know, I want people to, 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 to know that I've, I've invested the money, you know, into my collection and, and into my, my facility. You know, I pay a mortgage on this, on my facility and it's just for my businesses. You know, I don't, I don't live here. I, I, I even built a rock climbing room in the one room because I want to be able to work out from, from this facility as well. You know what I mean? And, um, not have to pay a gym membership and do all that when I have my own, my own business, you know what I mean? Um, so it's good. I I definitely learned a lot. I I actually, you know, the, the, the one guy that was ripping me, he, he was ripping, uh, Del Bono too. And, and, uh, you know, Del Bono has worked hard and is a very successful businessman too. So, and, and, and he's also one of the most respected Boa guys out there. Yeah, and so for somebody to be knocking me and him is like, come on, man. And so he, I called him up right away. I was like, what do, what do I, what do I even say to this? He's like, dude, just leave it alone. You know, don't even worry about it. Like, Rich is like an old veteran, man. He yeah, just, he'll guide you right. He, nothing really gets to him, man. That's why I love that guy. He's, he's one of the the best people in the industry and honestly that's how you got to be man you you can't you know in the in both industries tattooing and and snakes you know you're gonna have idiot asshole customers and other 
tattoo artists who have monster egos. Like there are tattoo artists that have egos that are way bigger than snake guy egos. So, you know, like it's definitely, uh, a lot to deal with, but I, I keep it private now, man. I'm, I'm, you know, I, I do tattoo at a bunch of different conventions. Uh, when I can get them in, I, I like to go to Colorado's convention. They have a real clean convention. And, um, well, shit, I like to go to, you know, next time I'll go up there, get inked by you, dude. Yeah, that would be awesome. I, I, I usually book them out. You know, I, I like to set them up and have people lined up and booked out so that I know that I'm that I'm going to be at least paying for my trip and not underwater. <laughs> but um, no, the last Colorado one was very successful. And uh, I got to hang out with a lot of good friends and tattoo some of my friends that I lived with, you know, 10 years ago out there. And, um, you know, it's it's cool. I want to I want to experience more of that. I want to travel more. I want to tattoo another states even in other countries um my wife and i love music and we love going to concerts and taking our kids and um in december we go down uh, one of our favorite reggae bands slightly stupid they put on a huge uh like pretty high class uh festival at the hard rock in mexico and dude it is just it's one of the best vacations we it just you know it's four days of music and all, you know, nice people. And it's just like an escape from reality. And, and you don't have to worry about nothing. You just go and listen to good music and hang out with your friends. And, you know, it's all good people. All, all the bands, they don't treat you like they're rock stars. They, they, they hang out with you. And, you know, and that's, that's, how, that's the way I like to be. I, I, don't, I don't like hanging out with other tattoo artists that are too good, you know, that are, that are always posting selfies and trying to do things like that. It's just, it's just, not my thing. I want to keep it private, keep it quality, keep it top shelf, you know what I mean? And, and keep rolling. Awesome, man. So dude, what do you think the future is in the hobby itself? So what are some of those things that you're looking forward to and say the next five to 10 years that you think are really going to drive, uh, the boa industry forward? Man, you know, it's, it's really hard to say right now with the way that things are. With uh, with where we are at uh, in this in this uh, trying time, um, I don't I don't I honestly don't know because you know when I look back to two thousand seven two thousand eight, I I actually ended up getting rid of a lot of boas back then because the economy was so bad and people weren't buying snakes and people weren't giving a shit what you had. I, I had these I had these sunset boas that were blue and green. And like ridiculously awesome looking snakes and just nobody wanted them. You know, I couldn't get, I couldn't even get four or 500 bucks for them, you know, because the time, the time was so tough and, um, you know, so who knows? I mean, we're going to have to really see how we recover from all of this devastation that's happening and, you know, get through all this first. But I think that if we can keep, I mean, it's not, it's not necessarily, affecting me um in a bad way i definitely had to push my i already had to push my tattoo appointments out because i broke my collarbone <laughs> so i'm already off of uh work for this month but uh but it didn't stop me from getting in the bow room and you know and it's not i'm still currently snapping photos as much as possible and um you know getting people excited for my few litters that are coming up and um you know, that, that's kind of what it's all about and building that those relationships. You know, I'm talking to guys right now, you know, that 
I sold boas too, and um, they're really interested in the in the new projects that are coming, and they know you know what I got value wise in the snakes and what I've put into it, so they don't have any problem investing good money. Um, you know, I see that a lot on on social media where I post a I'll post a picture of a of a snake, and, <coughs> excuse me, and somebody will you know say like, oh man, that you know I bet that one's you know, way out of my price range. And, you know, and I'm like, you know, it just depends. Like it could be out of your price range. Like a lot of my tattoos are out of people's price range too, but I work with them and we, and we do it over time. And, you know, we, uh, we take our time doing it. <laughs> and, um, <clears throat> we, let me, let me grab a drink of water real quick. When people, when people, you know, say something like that, like, Oh man, that's way out of my price range. You know, I'm I'm not necessarily shying away from that customer because they may be a customer in the future. Um, right. So I don't want to like be like, oh man, like you know, don't don't be coming in here with those comments or anything like that. Because, and this is something I've learned as I grow and talking to other guys like Michael Roscoe. You know, he's been in the business forever and knows how to run a great business. And um, you know that person may be may become your client in two or three years when you have something that is really intriguing or and then they have more money they got a better job or you know you don't want to burn those bridges and I, I've definitely tried to not um, let money drive what I'm doing you know <clears throat> it, it is a business and I have a real good passion for it and, you know same same with the tattooing um, but at the end of the day I still have to make a living and I still have to you know, do what I think is right. And, you know, if I spent three grand on the, on one of the parents and, or whatever, then, and, and then I have no issue charging that for a baby, you know what I mean? And, yeah, and I don't feel bad about it. I don't feel like, like I'm like that person is missing out because they can't afford $3,000 snake, you know, save up or, or talk to me about a payment plan. Like I'm, I'm, I'm always easy to work with because I know that people have been good to me, you know, and, and I've, I've, I've been able to get some really rare boas and some some cool genetics because someone allowed me to do a six month payment plan or you know something like that. Uh, uh, same thing with the bonsai pots, man. I, I one of my favorite pots is is like ridiculously expensive, and I could have definitely never paid straight up for it. Um, but it's one of my one of my most prized possessions. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, I'm with you, dude. That's pretty awesome. So. Um... Kind of to wrap this up, on, uh, let's talk a little bit about the sharp purple gene. So uh, being that you are probably one of the foremost guys in the States working with sharp purples, give us a little bit of, of, of a background of the, about the European sharp purple gene and kind of uh, let's go into how you decided to start going down the road of the nebula boa and kind of defining the nebula boa. But yeah, let's start with uh, you know, giving them the listeners kind of some insight about the sharp purple gene and how you found out about it. Oh man. So I found out about it because, um, I started seeing some of the high contrast sharps popping up. Um, I had actually bought one, um, back in 2013. Uh, I got a, a high contrast male and man, was he beautiful. I mean, even as a baby, his, his tail was like super dark maroon. It was a really, really beautiful animal. And I never actually ever bred him. Um, because by the time he was breeding age, I had snakes that were, you know, much more colorful, not just high contrast, but, but really purple and red and, 
you know, things like that. So I didn't, I didn't really honestly need him. It kind of stunk because I raised him for three years before I sold him, but I never bred him before I got rid of him. So, right. um, but I, I started perusing uh, my the import options, and you know, um, I used to export for Pete all the time, and um, <clears throat> so I knew that I could do it. And it just required some legwork and some extra money. You know, important's not cheap. And um, to do it the right way, to have CITES permits and, uh, you know, really um, not just ship them in a box, uh, you know, and hope that they don't get busted, you know, that because there are a lot of that going There is definitely a lot of that going on. But um, so I went and got my my uh, license through Fish and Game and, uh, you know, built a good relationship with the so, the wildlife, the fish and wildlife, um, or fishing game officer down at, uh, at the airport. And yeah. every, I would have an import or two every single year since 2014, um, was my first import. And, um, and then, yeah, go ahead. Yeah. So maybe talk a little bit about the intricacies of what it takes to kind of import a boa and some of the things. Yeah. So, well, I mean, it's, it's a, man, it's a risky thing. I, I, you're trusting someone there, until you're in it where you're going over to, to different shows over there or, you know, you've built a relationship with somebody and you know them firsthand. Like, like Mike Roscoe, he goes over and, you know, he does does stuff over there and, and deals with people over there. Bob Clark, you know, there's a lot of guys that, that do a lot of international business. Um, I don't. I'm pretty domestic and I will ship a boa across the seas and, 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 and export, but... Um, I really was, my main focus was to import these and raise them up and watch them grow and see how they do. Um, I would, I'd get rid of a few of them here and there along the way, you know, some that I didn't want to keep or if I had too many, they were just like, man, I'm, I'm a little overwhelmed. <laughs> I have too many boas right now. You know, I, I would offload a couple of them, uh, but they weren't, I wasn't importing to sell or to flip them. Um, when we definitely had some of that going on and then people were like, oh man, this purple jeans lame because a lot of these bows are fading or they're not really purple when they get them. And, you know, there was a lot of that going on. So then I kind of had to even drop back a little further because I didn't want to be in that, in that limelight where somebody's like, oh yeah, he's working with the purples, but you know, what, what's this whole purple gene about? I wanted to wait until I had solid purples on the ground that I produced, right. you know, um, <clears throat> that kind of deal. And then, and then take it a step even further and go to the nebula. You know, it just so happened that I had that nebula litter before having this purple gene, you know, broken down. And that's why I went with the nebula name instead of calling it the whole IMG purple, like we talked about earlier, right. you know, because I don't want people to think that they're going to buy a nebula from me at $7,000 or whatever price tag, you know, we agree on, um, and then it not be purple, you know, like that would, that would be devastating if you, you know, three year, four years down the road, you got this big female and she, she don't, she's got some purple in her and some flex and some, some, you know, stuff like that, but, but not a solid purple snake. Like a, a lot of people would attach with that name purple, you right, know what I mean? Right. <clears throat> so it's a very loose pastel gene right now because there is a lot of other colors mixed in. There's red and orange and, and other, you know, things that are coming through. And I think that that's what happens when you have a snake that is real purple as a baby and fades to nothing or fades to orange. It's because that other pastel gene took over. 
Um, so uh, does that purple, will that purple snake still produce more purple babies? Yeah, it definitely will. So, you know, um, having a low end purple isn't necessarily a bad thing. Uh, that's one of the, that's one of the things that I, you know, kind of had told my brother when he, my brother, my, my older brother got a, a purple from me and, and has made a litter or two, uh, that has some pretty cool purples popping out. There's not a ton of them, but they're still popping out even though that, yep. right. So, <clears throat> you know, I, I think that's something to take note of is that, you know, these polygenic traits, you know, it's like red rum, you know, you could have a red rum that's not super orange or red, but he'll create a baby that that could be, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, it's just give, giving the time, giving, giving the boas time to kind of do their thing. And, and if you strike out, you strike out, you know, you, at least you went down swinging. Um, you know, you didn't hold back. You, 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 you gave that snake the chance and, um, you know, that's kind of the cool thing about it is it's, it's, it's kind of like chemistry, you know, you're putting these two chemicals together and creating a concoction and, um, I really enjoy that that side of it. I really enjoy um, getting to. I really enjoy getting some of my tattoo clients that are interested to see them. You know, I have a lot of people that I definitely don't even tell them that their snake yeah, is upstairs, yeah. <laughs> and that may even deter some people in the future uh, from getting tattooed. I don't know, but um, I'm like, look, they will not travel downstairs to where it's colder. Trust right. me. But um, but yeah, so it's it's cool. Um, I, I'm definitely going to keep pushing this purple envelope. Um, I have, like I was saying, the two litters that I have cooking right now are probably my two most anticipated litters f for a while. The one mom is the mom of the nebulas from 2018. Um, I gave her the year off last year. She had 24 perfectly healthy babies, her first litter. So I'm hoping for a good 30 maybe this time. Yeah. Um, and... I bred her with a very similar male to what she is. She's a very nice purple. He's actually a nicer version of, of her even. Um, so he may even be a double dose purple already because he's very, very saturated. Um, both of his parents in check were purple sun glows. So it's very, very possible that he is, you know, a, a quote unquote double dose. Um, right which is what I'm trying to produce here with, with both of these litters, but both litters are two totally different looking animals. You know what I mean? Both females look different from each other and both males look completely different. Um, so it's going to be exciting to see, uh, what these two do. If, if, a if an orange tail snake pops out of the red tail litter and the, and a red tail snake pops out of the orange tail litter, then I might abandon the project. <laughs> I don't, I really don't, you know, I don't, at that point, I, I don't so, know. So what do you think is the future of this gene and like this project and the future of kind of the purpose? Well, I'm, I'm hoping to dissect it more. You know, if I, if, if what I'm doing, you know, is, ends up being, you know, uh, coming true or, or coming to fruition or whatever, I think that I'll dissect it even further. I'll take it back to, cause I bred sunglow to sunglow and sunglow to sunglow. Uh, and, and, uh, there's definitely some jungle floating around in there. Um, so I think both males are jungle and both females aren't, but, um, but I, I think that if, if my hypothesis goes the way that I want it to, then I'll, I'm gonna, uh, I have albinos, uh, that are going to be ready next year. 
um, and I'm gonna that are siblings to these snakes that I'm breeding. So um, same gene pool, um, and that I'm gonna take and go to al albinism, and and maybe even throw in like <clears throat> an IMG uh, pet purple that's not a visual, so that then I get double dose um, normal snakes because or double dose jungle that's pet for sharp you know a double dose bluish purple jungle in normalcy could be, could be unbelievable yeah. it could it could be right we, we've not seen it yet it's not been produced and if it has nobody's shown it off yet so yeah. um you know that's that's what's what's going to be really cool about this is is that every year we get to do something that's a little bit different than the year before i didn't do a nebula breeding this year because i didn't need to um you know i'd rather dissect these two genes or or this purple gene and find out what's really going on before making more of the nebula when i don't really know what's going on with the nebula i just know that it's a killer img visual t negative right. um you know which is uh, until recently you haven't seen a lot of those really wicked looking t negative imgs no, so absolutely, man. so let me yeah. ask you this dude Based on kind of everything that we're talking about within this purple gene, do you think as it becomes more, more prolific within the United States, it's going to begin changing the shark market here like it has in Europe? Most definitely. And that has been something that I wanted to kind of target. Um, you know, I wanted to bring – that has been a kind of a goal of mine, um, as you were saying, like what got me into to wanting to breed bows and stuff. You know, I, I've seen all of the amazing calls under the sun and – you know, I just knew that there was something about this sharp gene that, that could definitely be, um, you know, looked into a lot further and, and taken a lot further. And so I think that the sharp genetic is going to be something that is like the VPI genetic now, you know, like <clears throat> because there's so much uh, uncharted territory with the sharp genetics, with the, 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 the paradise and the, and the, uh, the paradigm. Um, you know, I think that can be pushed so much further, especially seeing what these guys are doing over in Europe with it. And um, Joel Diaz with that paradise I got from him. I mean, he had an unbelievable litter of pastel dream paradise uh, jungles and motleys. And and then if I can throw in IMG and purple and, and blue and whatever, you know, into that and really make these just I, I, the, the, the sky's the limit. You know, we're just going to keep 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 rolling with these and and having fun doing it you know that's the biggest thing that i think so many people miss about all this is that it's supposed to just be fun like yeah there's money involved and there's things like that but like if you're not working hard for something then what the hell are you doing you know what i mean Amen so that, dude. right it doesn't matter what you're doing if you're not working hard for it then what the hell are you doing you know it, 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 that's that's my motto if i'm if i'm bow hunting i'm I'm putting my whole heart into it. You know what I mean? And so there's something to be said about that. I think that, uh, that, re that reflects in my tattoos and, and reflects in my, in my boas and, you know, people that have been here to, to see the shop and the facility, see my boas in person. It's a totally different thing than just seeing what, what some people see online and, you know, in my Instagram and, and, when you hold these snakes in your hand and like see all the crazy colors and stuff, I mean, you have some of them, so, you know, it's, oh, it's, yeah. it's, a uh, it's really cool. And, and 
and it's only just the beginning, which is really, really fun. I'm 32 and, you know, I plan to keep doing this for a long time. Um, I'm dialing back my tattooing. Uh, definitely I'm only going to be doing um, tattooing probably three, four days a week instead of five, six days a week like I was doing, um, you know, and focusing more on boas and, and having fun with the kids. Awesome, man. Well, on that note, guys, we are going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to hit the Dirty Dozen. The Dirty Dozen. All right, guys, we're back, and it's time for the Dirty Dozen. So, Tyler, what I'm going to do is I'm going to ask you 12 questions. Just give me a short answer to all of them, or you can elaborate if you want. But, yeah, let's go ahead and get started. All right, number awesome. one, what is the size of your current collection? Uh, right now, I'm sitting at about 140, 142 boas um, and two ball pythons. <laughs> I uh, I definitely didn't uh, mean to, you know, have the balls, but I I started getting into them a little bit and did some breeding with my brother, and um, there's just a couple that I have that are kind of pets now. So that's, that's cool. awesome. Yep. All right, man. Number two, uh, husbandry question. Are you a frozen thawed or live guy, and what's your bedding choice? Uh, I'm frozen thawed, uh, especially for larger boas. Um, you know, getting live rats is definitely not nearly as easy as frozen thawed. So, um, and then I I happen to have Ralph Davis in my backyard. He's a good friend of mine as well, and um, he uh, I, when I need live for the babies and things like that, he he hooks it up. Um, I have. All of my boas on uh, paper and um, construction, like craft cardboard paper. Yep. Um, and then during breeding, uh, during this, the, once the female is in her last month, I will uh, put um, uh, aspen shavings on the uh, non-heated side. So she will you, nine times out of ten lay the babies in that, and it's just way easier for cleanup and. Um, I think <clears throat> females definitely like to make their bed, so yeah, they'll they'll spend time doing that, and I think that they really enjoy. They like to have the, the bedding in there, then you know, trashed up paper. <laughs> right. So, yep. All right, number three. What's your favorite more for locality? Uh, probably the 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 more blue scale in the sharps, the ones that are really um, more of that amazing blue tone they're 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 purples per se but they there's a fight between um the the lighter tones that really start looking more blue and and i like that a lot and and the vpi mg that i created those those two are just unreal all right man number four what is the most overrated morph out there <clears throat> you know i without without stepping on anybody's toes or, or you know, discrediting anything. Um, I want to say that the, the Princess Diamond's definitely pretty overrated. I know it's definitely come down um, in price quite a bit, but uh, I've seen many of them, and Jeremy's a good friend of mine. I, I definitely don't not knock what he's got going on. I, I absolutely love the fire gene. Um, I think fire and purple is going to do some incredible shit. Okay. But, but the Superform... 
you know, if you breed a really crazy fire purple to a really crazy fire purple, you're going to get a white snake. So I, I don't know if that's 100% true, uh, but... Maybe you'll get a snake that glows in the dark. Who knows? You, you never know. You might get... Not until you try. So, uh, I, but that's the that's what I would say the most overrated one has been because, you know, people want that white. And I just, I don't think it's that cool. All right, man. Number five, what's the most underrated morph? Uh, sharp, sharp T positive the bwc or paradigm and you know things like that the i think that there there's a lot to explore there i think that a lot of people really love vpi because it's been exploited um you know once the sharp stuff really gets out there i think people see that that it, it the sharp t positive will definitely rival you know what what people have done with the vpi all right number six what's your favorite part of the hobby genetics <laughs> i really like mashing genetics together you know that's uh that creating something beautiful you know by putting uh two snakes together is is really cool uh i think that's probably my favorite part is seeing the what you can create it's kind of like tattooing from creating something from nothing you know but that's my favorite part the genetics number seven what's the worst part of the hobby Cleaning big girls' cages. Oh, yeah, I'm with you. <laughs> yeah, man. It's like, geez, how does that come out of you? <laughs> yeah, dude. I was actually doing a podcast uh, with uh, Thomas Cobb and Sergio, and right next to my head, dude, one of my big like, I have a couple like, legitimately, that are bordering that 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 have broken that ten foot plane and are now maybe closer to twelve, right? Yeah, it's like a horse. Right? Yeah, dude, one of them took a right in the middle of the podcast, and I just kind of had to hold my breath the whole time. It was uh, brutal. Oh, man. Uh, number eight, do you keep any other species, and if so, why? Um, no, I'm, I'm focusing mainly on red tails. Uh, I mean, I do definitely have a couple other locales, uh, the the hunter and firebelly, and um, I have a longa, longicauda. And some some hog island and you know stuff that I want to mix in along the way just just to spice things up a little bit. I mean, I think that uh, that could be those could be some fun projects in the future if if you can get them to breed. You know, uh, I know there's a lot of people that don't like muddying up the lines and crossing BCC with BCI and things like that. But let me tell you, one of my favorite snakes. She she passed away a few years ago, but she was she was pretty old. She was produced by Pete in 2005 2006 and um which she really wasn't that old she 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 just ended up passing away i I bred her and bred her and bred her and she never produced for me and it was just the weirdest thing but she was the most gorgeous boa that i had for a long time um i actually got her from a guy out in california and he got her straight from pete and um she was she was a albino a call albino but she was like over 50% Argentine. So her whole body was like saturated pink and that was inside the saddles, like in the interior and on their sidewalls, her saddles were like a really cool, like yellowy green color. And, you know, you could just see that wild Argentine coming through her. Her head was definitely the Argentine shape. Um, and she was huge. So I think that there's something to be said about that. Like, you know, a, a T negative Argentine would be really cool. Um, I know there's some guys doing that, but, um, 
Yeah, mixing in some locale. I don't think that there's anything wrong there. You know, there's some purists that would say there is, but yeah, I, no, I think it's I'll cool. be honest. I think my favorite <clears throat> bow of all time was I used to have actually a call that was uh, 50% Cerna. And oh, yeah. Popped. Yeah, awesome. real red, real intense. And that's what I, I think probably has been done with some of the purple. You know, I think the purple stuff has definitely been crossed with some of the the other, maybe Guyana. You know, Guyanas can be real purple. Um you know, maybe that's been, been mixed in a little bit over there in Europe, and, and that's where we're seeing some of these real saturated colors coming from. Yep. All right, man, number nine. What's a common misconception about you? Um, hmm. I'd say two. There's, I probably, there's probably two things. Uh, you know, I, I have dreadlocks. If you met me in person, uh, I have, like, three-foot dreadlocks, and um, I think that a lot of people would – think that I'm just some stoner, you know, but, uh, I, I although I definitely do, um, you know, I'm a hundred percent advocate for marijuana and the, and what it can do for everybody. Uh, I'm, I'm not just some stoner that sits, sits and smokes weed all day. So, um, that's definitely a, a, a misconception, but, um, I, uh, I think in the boa business, a misconception would be that I'm newer to, to breeding, you know, um, I, I, I've, I'm newer to breeding on my own, you could say, like, you know, like I said, the, my first litter was 2016. So um, uh, that definitely is a pretty new breeder uh, on your own. But I, I mean, I, I worked with Pete Call. I, I was there for many breedings and paired a lot of stuff up and, you know, have a lot of experience doing it. So, um, you know, newer to being my own uh, business and being my own breeder. Yeah, but I've been doing this for for the past 10 years so yeah man so uh let's go to number 10 what makes you th say what was i thinking when you look at back at your time in the hobby <laughs> um when i i would say this last year when i had like 160 babies or 160 boas total not babies but 160 uh mouths to feed along with my two kids and horses and all the other we got three dogs and it's just you know it's crazy and it all just adds up and um i definitely was like what the hell was i thinking doing all this you know like getting this far in and and then i'm and then still having more snakes coming from europe and you know whatever <laughs> like, uh... <laughs> so that's cool all right man number 11 what's one tip you would give the new people looking to invest in boas um i would say pay you know, do your research and don't be afraid to pay good money for quality genetics. You know, there's there's definitely good deals to be had. I'm a deal finder. I definitely scour people's collections and stuff for, for good deals. Um, even to the point where I've had breeders back out on deals with me because I picked the best bow out of the litter and, you know, a month later they realized that that was the best boa and they wanted to keep it so you know there's definitely uh something to be said there but i i would say try if, if you don't know you don't know somebody's gonna sell you that boa until you try you know right right um so definitely do your research about the breeders it's just like getting a tattoo you, you don't do your research about the tattoo artist you could definitely wind up with something you're gonna regret <laughs> yeah. so I always tell people to look at look at portfolios, look at their work before you get tattooed, look at the boas before you buy a boa from them, look at their their husbandry, their practices, or or at least you know 
maybe reach out to somebody that you see they bought that bought a bow from them you know talk about your experiences it, it can't hurt to talk to people you know what i mean yep and then final question man any shout outs you want to throw out there um uh, man i mean just to some of the guys out there that i'm that i'm good friends with that you know are are a good inspiration and good advice michael roscoe gives me good advice a lot about business and his dealings he's a very informative guy um him and I talk quite a bit, um, so definitely a shout out to him, and uh, and yeah, shout out to my wife, man. Without my wife, I wouldn't be doing any of this shit. Yeah. So <laughs> she's uh, she's the one that's taking care of the kids and working hard and and uh, makes it so that I can live my dream. All right, guys. Well, that wraps it up for today. Tyler, tell the people out there where they can see your animals and learn more about you and your tattoo business. Well, I'm on uh, all the social media outlets except for Twitter. I'm working on that. I haven't quite decided to cross over there, but I have Instagram and Facebook. Um, you can find both Chroma Constrictors um, there, and you can also find Burnslow Studios. Um, and then I'm, I have my own personal accounts as well. Um, so any of those outlets, I'm always looking to talk to people and you know educate people on stuff and get them interested in the hobbies, uh, ho hobby of boas. And, uh, and yeah, I, I have actually tattooed quite a few guys that buy boas from me as well. Um, so when I can do both, if I could, I've been trying to get Frank Martin to let me give him a boa tattoo for the oh, longest yeah. time. He, awesome. he, he, we, we had it s scheduled, but he, he lives about three hours away. So it was, uh, it, it north, ended right? he's in Jersey, like North middle of Jersey. And, uh, and so uh, I passed through his place to go to the, the beach convention that I tattoo at. And, um, and so I, I actually stopped at his place a couple times and, and picked up some boas and stuff. But he, I'm, I'm itching to give him his, his, uh, his OG anorthristic boa tattoo. So we'll see if that works out. But, uh, but yeah, if anybody wants to hit me up about designing a custom tattoo or um, I'm even working on some logos for people now while I'm down um, – doing some some hand-drawn logos uh for their boa businesses and things like that so i can do i can do whatever you want me to do a custom painting for you i can do it um and i'd have fun doing it so you know don't hesitate to hit me up awesome well guys thanks for listening we appreciate you guys tuning in Well, guys, that was probably my favorite episode thus far, uh, despite some of the technical challenges that I had with my mic on my end. Thanks to Tyler for joining us today. Join us on our next episode as we speak to one of my favorite people in the entire industry, Michael Roscoe of The Reptile Shop. We're going to chat about the opening of his retail shop, get his tips on successfully vending at reptile shows, and of course, we're going to cover that famous TNS gene. Thanks for joining us today, guys. We appreciate you guys tuning in. Do us a favor. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe and leave us a five-star rating and review on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, and YouTube. Until next time, grow them slow.